Thank you for joining us for news from the Re Loveland Reporter Herald. On March 7, 2023, my name is Jean Pazor. Vote on Santerra South proposal delayed. The Santerra South Suburban Renewal proposal lost some of its momentum last week after Loveland City Council rescheduled its vote on the development from March 21st to April 18th, more than two weeks past the deadline developer McQuinney Real Estate Services asked for in January. According to City Manager Steve Adams, the move was made in order to give local entities, including Thompson Schools and Larimer County a chance to finalize negotiations on future tax sharing agreements with the developer. This date change should allow that to happen, Adams wrote in an email. The city seeks to have the MFA, Master Finance Agreement, and the Shared Pass-Through Tax Increment Agreements finalized and approved by the appropriate parties prior to bringing it forth for the city council vote. The delay has implications for a purported deal between McWinney and Whole Foods Market, which is proposing a 40,000-square-foot grocery store in Santerra South. During the developer's initial presentation to Council on January 24th, Chief Financial Officer Chad McWinney said that a lease agreement with the grocer's contingent on having the urban renewal agreements completed by April 1st. According to McWinney General Manager Abby Kirkbride, the Whole Foods deal is still on the table, though delays by City Council beyond April 18th could jeopardize it. For this one, we're okay, she said. Everyone's on the same page in terms of time frame. The proposed 149-acre Santerra South development is located south of US 34 between Hans Peak Drive and Rocky Mountain Avenue. Current plans call for a mix of retail and residential units anchored by the Whole Foods. To help pay for construction costs for infrastructure, such as roads, water, and sewer, McWinney is also asking for a new urban renewal plan to replace the original Santerra URA expiring in 2029. The new plan would function much like the original, with tax increment financing from entities that level a mill levy on the property, including the city, school district, Larimer County, and Thompson Valley Emergency Services, among others. Those entities agreed to divert some or all of their property tax values in the urban renewal area for 25 years to help repay bonds sold for the project. Negotiations on the specifics of those tax-sharing agreements are currently underway between the city, developer, and the impacted agencies and are expected to be completed later this month. There was a mix of reactions to the delay across City Council for Councillor Dana Foley, who was appointed to chair the Loveland Ur Urban Renewal Authority. It is important to any entity potentially impacted by the Santerra South proposal have a chance to carefully consider its consequences. My focus right now is just to make sure everyone's voices are heard, he said. If delaying helps make sure that everyone gets a seat at the table, it actually looks better that way. 
Counselor Don Overcash largely echoed that point, though he expressed frustration with challenges during the process, including a decision by Mayor Jackie Marsh to keep an executive session about Santerra South off the February 28th special meeting agenda. I believe that not having that meeting, as we politely requested, cost us another week, he said, and then you take all the other moving parts and we just had to reorganize the schedule and make that work. Marsh, who has voiced deep concerns about another tax-sharing agreement with McWinney, she welcomes the delay, since Centura's South decision could impact the city until 2048. She said that it gives the entities breathing room to make an informed decision on behalf of the people who elected them. The process is so important for public trust, she said, and for counselors to trust each other, and for our partners in this to trust each other. The process matters. You can't just be totally focused on the outcome that you get what you want. In Colorado news, VP Harris spoke to Arvada crowd. Congresswoman Brittany Pedersen and world-class climber Sasha DeJulian discussed climate change topic on Monday. Vice President Kamala Harris highlighted the complexities and interconnected challenges posed by climate change during a visit to the Denver metro area Monday. Harris, a Democrat, spoke at an at-capacity 500-person auditorium and overflow rooms at the Arvada Center for the Arts and Humanities. Dozens of state and local elected officials were in attendance. She was joined by newly elected Congresswoman Brif Brittany Pedersen of Arvada and world-class rock climber Sasha DeJulian of Boulder. The three Westerners, Harris is from California, noted the extreme threat climate change and the drought it drives posed to the region. Harris, who landed at DIA Airport from Los Angeles, recalled the much-needed snow covering the California mountains as she left, but also the danger that the snowpack posed if it melted into a flood. She called it weather whiplash. We're looking at everything from drought to extreme rain and snow, Harris said. Here in Colorado, I don't need to tell you what that has meant. She did not tout any specific new proposals from the federal government, but highlighted new technologies and ways of thinking about the challenges. Building off the flood example, Harris noted efforts to pivot from treating floods as pure disasters in need of mitigation, as also opportunities to capture water before it rushes into the ocean. She also noted new satellite technology that helps track water sources from space and how it can help steer policy. While acknowledging that water issues are interconnected and highlighting the Colorado River as a specific example of that, she did not wade into the controversy in brewing fights over the rights to the West Aquatic Artery. Pedersen, who has a young son, noted how much climate change has already changed daily life in the state. She recalled playing outdoors regularly as she grew up in Jefferson County. Now air quality days cancel sporting events and lead to warnings to keep kids indoors, she said.
We have to stop just talking about our obligation for the next generation, and believe me, that motives me more than anything now, having a young son, but we need to talk about what is happening right now, Pedersen said. Two of the introductory speakers, Cher Walker-Ravenel of the Black Parents United Foundation and Olga Gonzalez of Cultivando, which each talked about climate change and pollution disproportionately affect communities of color and poorer communities. Gonzalez specifically cited pollution from the Suncor oil refinery. We ask you to join us in pushing for regulations that actually protect human health so that our children do not continue to be sacrificed for the sake of cheaper gasoline, Gonzalez said. The speakers nonetheless shared a sense of optimism as they celebrated the federal spending and programs stemming from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act and Democrat-passed Inflation Reduction Act, which many tout as the largest climate change package passed by Congress. On Monday, Governor Jared Polis's office announced that Amprius Technologies will open a 775,000-square-foot factory in Brighton to help manufacture lithium-ion batteries. The company was one of the first to receive funding from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act to expand domestic manufacturing of batteries for electric vehicles and the electric grid. Its investment in Colorado includes a $50 million grant from the U.S. Department of Energy. New Vision Charter School. Students scale up with enormous fractal sculpture. Students at New Vision Charter School have completed work on a 12-foot-tall Sierpinski tetrahedron, encompassing 4,096 individual triangular pyramids and made entirely out of cardstock and glue, and will exhibit their project to the community Tuesday afternoon. A Sierpinski tetrahedron uh, Students with Sierpinski Tetrahedon Club at New Vision explained Monday afternoon is a fractal composed of triangles that can grow infinitely and maintain its shape. It begins with a triangular pyramid called Generation Zero. Then two more pyramids are added with their points touching the points of the original one. And one more is placed on top, with each of its three points supported by the ones underneath. What results is a pyramid with the exact same dimensions as the first, only larger. This can be replica replicated infinitely, at least in theory, explained geometry teacher and club advisor Daryl Stolte. In practice, the size of the pyramid is limited not only by mathematics, but by the actual size of the space it's built in, in this case a school cafeteria. Each time the pyramid grows, it requires four times as much space as the previous generation, and the students who built a Generation 6 tetrahedron bumped up against the limitations of their space. If they made the object any bigger, it would be taller than the school. Cade Prather, an 8th grader who has been instrumental in the project, said, 4,096 triangles all arranged in this way make it look cool. Of course, to my caveman brain, it's just crazy. 
The structure has interesting implications about the concept of infinity, Stolte said, but also has more practical uses for understanding concepts like exponential scaling, something common in business. If this isn't the scaling problem, I don't know what is, Stolte said. It's really easy to get from generation zero to generation one. That's easy. But man, you start scaling from that guy to that guy, he said as he pointed to a smaller tetrahedron composed of 64 of the small pyramids the students used as building blocks to the next largest one which used 256 of the pyramids. I mean, that took three months. I think it's a really good lesson about scaling. Math students in the 7th and 8th grade at New Vision have been building their latest colossal structure due to be hung from the ceiling in the cafeteria at the school on Tuesday as a permanent installation for the last nine months. This, their largest tetrahedron, is supported by various braces to keep its structure intact and uses specially made cardstock joints to adhere each pyramid to the next. Its tremendous size is deceptive. The entire edifice weighs only 22 pounds. It's mostly air, and several middle school students can comfortably stand inside. The students themselves said the project has a lot to teach them about mathematics, but also important lessons about teamwork and leadership. It makes you realize that something that may seem impossible to make something entirely out of triangles that's going to hang 25 feet in the air from fishing line, that's not going to fall on children walking underneath it, said Olivia Moses, a seventh grader who worked on the project. It sounded crazy to me, but after cutting it and gluing it and God knows how many paper cuts, it's just amazing to see. The open house displaying the project will take place at New Vision Charter School's 5th through 8th grade campus, 299 Peridot Avenue, Tuesday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m., and it's open to the public. Norfolk Southern announces safety upgrades. Norfolk Southern had announced plans on Monday to improve the use of detectors placed along railroad tracks to spot overheating bearings and other problems in response to a fiery derailment on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border a month ago. The announcement came the same day as Pennsylvania's governor announced that the company had agreed to pay several million dollars to cover the cost of the response and recovery in that state. The company said it would evaluate the distance between hot bearing detectors, currently 13.9 miles or 22 kilometers, on average on its core network, and promised to look at every location where the distance is more than 15 miles. 24 kilometers, deploying more detectors if practical. Norfolk Southern anticipates approximately 200 hot bearing detectors, current uh, hot bearing detectors to its network, with the first installed on the western approach to East Palestine, said the company announcement, which comes amid proposals from Joe Biden's administration and Congress aimed at improving safety following last month's derailment.
The National Transportation Safety Board has said the crew operating the train that derailed February 3rd outside East Palestine, Ohio, near the Pennsylvania border, got a warning from such a detector, but couldn't stop the train before more than three dozen cars came off the tracks and caught fire. Half the town of about 5,000 people had to evacuate for days when responders intentionally burned toxic chemicals in some of the derailed cars to prevent an uncontrolled explosion, leaving residents with lingering health concerns. Government officials say tests haven't found dangerous levels of chemical in the air or water in the area. A week ago, a safety advisory from the Federal Railroad Administration urged railroads to re-examine the use of such detectors, making sure that they get inspected often enough by trained employees and that there are safe standards for determining when to stop a train or park a rail car when a warning is triggered. The Railroad Administration said overheating bearings likely caused at least four other derailments since 2021 and called for ways to analyze temperature trends from the sensors to help identify potential problems sooner. Norfolk Southern also said it would work with manufacturers to speed up tests and deployment of new multi-scan detectors able to scan a greater cross-section of a rail call's cars bearing and wheels. It also vowed to work with other railroads to review standards and practices, re-evaluating the temperature triggering an alarm and the response to such alarm, alarms, as well as analyzing data for patterns that could warn of safety issues. Loveland City Council Emergency Procurement Considered Redistricting and 2022 Financial Update also on the agenda. To help combat the ongoing impact of inflation and supply chain woes, Loveland City Council passed an emergency ordinance last year that temporarily gave city staff more flexibility in purchasing decisions. However, in the eight months since, city staff have continued to struggle with procuring critical supplies and infrastructure for utilities and public works. On Tuesday, Chief Financial Officer Brian Waldes will be back before council to ask for an extension of the temporary procurement rules and a higher spending limit. The First Amendment to the city's regulations allowed city staff to make purchases of up to $300,000 without going through a formal bidding process. At the time, Waldes argued that it will help our managers be able to acquire materials more quickly. The change was supposed to sunset after 12 months, but Waldis now wants to, con to extend it for another two years. He also wants to raise the purchase threshold to $2 million, giving city staff even more flexibility to make larger purchases when possible with spot buying. As then, the issue remains the pricing and availability of critical infrastructure supplies, such as water meters, electric cable, PVC pipe, and especially electric electrical transformers. The higher purchasing limit will allow city staff to take timely advantage of bulk purchasing opportunities and rebuild inventories which are running low, according to materials in the agenda packet. Later, 
City Council will also hear a presentation on remaining redistricting op options from Lud Loveland City Clerk Delyn Coldiron in preparation for a first reading and vote on March 14th. Due to a decade of strong pub population growth in Loveland, boundaries for the city's four election wards are in need of updating to bring the districts into balance. Late last year, Cold Iron and her staff devised a series of potential options for new wards that satisfy, satisfy state, county, and city requirements, and then sought feedback from residents and city officials. On February 14th, Cold Iron presented five options to City Council, including one created and submitted by a resident. Council subsequently narrowed the list from five to three, but then requested another scenario before making a final decision. If all goes according to Cold Iron's plan, Council will narrow that down even further on Tuesday. A first reading and vote on the new ward boundaries is tentatively scheduled for March 14th. How to participate? The Council will meet at 6 p.m. Tuesday in the Council Chambers at the Municipal Building, 500 East 3rd Street. Comments from members of the public will be accepted in person as well as over Zoom. Those wishing to join by Zoom can use the ID 975-3779-6504 with a passcode of 829866 according to the meeting agenda. The meeting will be broadcast on Comcast Channel 16-880, Pulse TV, Channel 16, and streamed through the city's website at lovegov.org tv. Tuesday's agenda packet can be found through the city, Loveland City Council's website at lovegov.org or at CIL ovelandco.civicweb.net Kids Pack receives 30,000 pounds of donations. When Kids Pack kicked off its three-day Loveland food drive, Tom Carrigan, the group's president, said the goal was to get 25,000 pounds of donations. By the end of the weekend, the nonprofit had received more than 30,000 pounds of food that will go directly to Loveland youths. From March 3rd through 5th, Kids Pack, which provides bags of food every weekend to students in need through the Thompson School District, 250 volunteers helped out for the sixth annual food drive. The drive saw seven collection sites and donations ranging from a few items to entire cases of products. It's amazing how the community supports us, Kerrigan said. Volunteers set up across Loveland at three Safeway stores, two King Supers, two Walmart Marts, and Sam's Club and asked residents to buy and donate some of a list of 10 items ravioli, canned fruit, tomato sauce, pasta, macaroni and cheese boxes, canned chicken, jelly, peanut butter, hamburger helper or tuna helper. Betsy Elliott, distribution manager, said throughout the weekend volunteers saw a wide array of people willing to help. This ranged from one person giving them the pocket change they had left all the 
all the way up to one couple who, at the Safeway location on Wilson Avenue, bought 31 cases of mac and cheese, 12 cases of spaghetti, 12 cases of ravioli, and 5 cases of pasta sauce, costing more than $3,400, according to Kerrigan. He also joked while standing at their warehouse in the Forge campus, We have more mac and cheese than Kraft. It's going to go for five months worth of distribution we don't have to pay for, Elliot said. It makes us able to help even more kids. Elliot and Kerrigan both said one thing impressed that impressed them was the fact that people wanted to come out and donate despite the rise in prices for food across the board. Elliot said that in 2020, a typical found pound of food for the drive would have cost $1.31. This year, she said the total was $2.11. Kerrigan said this means the local community donated more than $60,000 worth of food for local kids. The community has responded. They don't want to see hungering kids, he said. It shows how wonderful Loveland is, Elliot said. Kerrigan said they are amazed by how the community has come out to help make sure kids are fed over the weekend so they are ready to learn on Monday. Corrigan Kerrigan, volunteer coordinator and Tom's wife, Corrine Kerrigan, volunteer coordinator and Tom's wife, also said they heard from people during the drive about the impact kids pack out on them. Hunger is such a hidden problem in this community, she said. Kerrigan also noted noted the dedication of the many people who help kids pack in this ongoing mission. Rain or snow, they deliver food, he said. The whole team gets credit for making it happen. Thank you for joining us for news from the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Jean Pazor.